This episode is dedicated to Jeremy Jusu, Kobe Picker, my Seppo, and Brandon Hauer for becoming our newest Southpaw supporters and helping to make this project possible. The Southpaw project is supported entirely by listeners like you. If you want to support the work that we do, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen. Share these episodes, follow us on social media. If you're a new listener, make sure to click subscribe. And if you really want to support this project, then become a paid monthly subscriber on patreon.com slash southpawpod. If you head over to Patreon and subscribe for just $4 a month, you will get immediate access to our complete catalog of bonus episodes, videos, and articles. The more supporters we have, the more time we can dedicate to the show, which means more bonuses. And most important of all, hire and pay for staff. If you can't support us monthly, you can also do one-time donations at co-fi.com slash southpawpod. We also have t-shirts and sweatshirts to not only flex the show, but your own moral compass. By supporting us, you're not only helping us grow, you're also helping us stay and keep this project running. We can't exist without your support. Thank you. Yeah. We can just do a thing where if we run out of, uh, if, we, if we like hit a bump in the conversation where it's like, so what are we talking about? I can just read a poem if you want. <laughs> I've got this poetry book in front of me. I can. Do you read a poem? Read. We might not put it on the episode, but it might be a Patreon exclusive. You there we go. <laughs> get to hear some poetry. Okay. <clears throat> so this one, this one is called For Adorable Adrian Adonis, Unable to Wash the Pink from His Hands. Hey, AD, which way is the wind blowing today, brother? Have you taken a walk on the wild side in a while? Hulk Hogan, 1986. <laughs> Hello, everyone. And welcome to Pride Never Die. It is your girl, Parian. And I'm very sorry for being gone for so long. It's been about three weeks of incredibly heavy um, ruckus of construction right outside my uh, bedroom where I record. And I figured no one would want to hear a bunch of concrete saws and men hollering in the background of the podcast. So we're back now. <laughs> And I'm joined today by AJ. Hello, I'm AJ. I use uh, they or she pronouns. All right, and we're here to talk about um, combat sports and pro wrestling and how those two things are kind of the same thing, but in different ways. And uh, the ways in which queerness and performance and stuff kind of come out more in pro wrestling and can still exist within combat sports. So to start off, why don't you uh, give some of our listeners a little bit of your background? Um, I know you have your own podcast and stuff too about pro wrestling. If you'd like to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I have a show called 2 by 2 It's called that because uh, I went to Catholic school and I can't uh, avoid a shitty Catholic Bible porn. Because uh, it's, it's a show where we mostly cover pro wrestling Noah in Japan. And yeah, so it, it like it was we basically just that was a company me and my friend Envy like were both interested in but never really gave any time to. And we said, why don't we just start a show where we get to know it? And then, of course, we instantly fell in love with it. Um, 
the show is we have like you know some unannounced plans to maybe expand it but at the moment it's about this one particular company uh though we have done like the odd episode about prison abolition or like using our friends role-playing game to fantasy book some stuff you know whatever our fun our fun things um so yeah i guess just more background for me in terms of like pro wrestling and martial arts uh i have never really done actually done much of either uh (laughs) i went I, i went to like one kickboxing class when i was nine and uh you know whether he was just a savvy salesman or i truly had something uh the instructor used me as an example twice uh so i was very proud and like really wanted to get involved in kickboxing but the four pounds per session was just too much for us at that point. So I, I couldn't afford to go. Uh, really got I got into boxing at one point because me uh, cousin's boyfriend was like a boxer and he'd offered to train me. And I got really excited by the idea of training. But then, you know, pe- pe- when it's like families, partners, shit doesn't work out all the time. So that didn't end up happening. Uh yeah, and all through this, like as I was a kid, I was a pro wrestling fan. Never really got to see it on telly much, just because it was hard to see. Uh, like it was hard to catch. You needed to have the right channels. You needed to know when it was on. Uh, and like, so I mostly kept up with wrestling through the video games. Um, and I, I eventually came back to it as an adult. Uh, a few years ago with like Wrestle Kingdom 12, I started to get into New Japan Pro Wrestling. And then like from there, I eventually found out about, you know, like the British and United States independent scenes. And yeah, it's just kind of grown from there. And I I, I used to, even though like I talked about like wanting to get involved in kickboxing as a kid and like enjoying boxing and stuff like that, I found, I'd, I'd never liked MMA because it was it was always just too gruesome for me like it it turned my stomach when i saw someone like going for like you know who'd got the knockout and was still going in for the kill sort of thing i was like oh no something about this like it it doesn't scratch the same itch you know what i mean like it felt like it felt like i was watching an assault rather than a fight <laughs> um, but then you know since then i've fallen in love with like shoot style pro wrestling and uh the ukai style i don't know whether you pronounce it ukai or ukai i've only ever seen it written down but that's like uh you know what came out of uwfi and then pancrase etc all those different companies from that from that lineage or from you know i say lineage not to not to emphasize that but it's just that you know when you look into it a lot of those companies who wrestled those styles actually were like directly descended from the uwfi in terms of like either the roster or who the trainers were you know one thing or another that's actually something i want to go back to a little bit with a uh, pancrase because um i think that's something that some of the listeners that might not be a little bit uh, more familiar with um pro wrestling and how long it's been going on and its connection to shoot style fights um might be wondering because they've probably heard of the company Pancrase as an MMA promotion. So um, <laughs> if you could go on with some of the history of how those two are kind of connected, that would be great. So like uh, Pancrase and, you know, other, um, I think rings people might have heard of as like being MMA promotions were, were basically just 
pro wrestling. Except, <laughs> you know, like as as most people understand pro wrestling, it's fixed. Except, you know, depending on who you speak to behind the scenes, it's always a mix of like, well, the wear fixes, obviously, but also, um, you know, most of the time we just went in there and just had some fun with it and just, you know, had a match. And it's like th- that sort of card where like the way of structuring the card where like some of the matches have been fixed and some of them haven't if anything that is like more of like the traditional like the tradition of what pro wrestling truly is rather than it being like just one or the other like it's always sort of been that mix uh and you could say the same for basically any other sport (laughs) (laughs) yeah um you know there's always been a mix of fixes and shoots and it, you know, and it also, I think when you think about what it means to be a professional wrestler as like someone who's navigating this scene where maybe you'll be asked to have a shoot fight and maybe you'll be asked to work a match with like a specific ending or, or that tells a specific story or whatever. Like, I think navigating that side of things and like the fluidity between what you and your opponent might be doing and like you know, whether or not the fight is realistic, you're both still professional fighters. Your goal is not going to be to injure the other person. Your goal is still going to be to put on to be to put on the best show, even if like you really want to win. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, so yeah, so Pancras um, and Ring, they they are, they are, are all part of that. What I was just calling then, like Ukai, like the sort of UWFI family. Uh, so UWFI originally came out of New Japan Pro Wrestling in in the mid eighties, I think eighty six. I haven't got. I'm not great for dates, but uh, maybe eighty five. But yeah, anyway, uh, it was originally being designed for Anthony Inoki, who you know uh, gets talked about more in pro wrestling than in MMA, but is sometimes pointed to back for you know the big exhibition match between him and uh Muhammad Ali and and like the special rule set that they came up to to like facilitate that fight which led to like a very you know very boring match for spectators <laughs> which was also very personally physically damaging for Ali like a very like basically the worst thing for a for like the what, what you want least as a promoter like fucks up your athletes and like the crowd hated it yeah no one has a good time and then your pro boxer has a mangled leg yeah so so um there's a big style divide in japanese pro wrestling that doesn't that did at least didn't necessarily exist in like uh american or british wrestling which was the um what was called the King's Road style, which was mostly what operated in all Japan. And there was the uh, strong the strong style, which is like what Anoki developed. And so they were both, um, Anoki, Giant Barber was the one who ran all Japan and Anoki was the one who ran New Japan. And they were both uh, students of like Ricky Dozan, who was a Korean uh, Japanese wrestler, who was like basically the biggest wrestler in Japan. He was like, one of the first big stars of like the post-war boom um and so like they were both his like apprentices and like went in different directions with how they wanted to do their wrestling and enoki's approach was essentially i want pro wrestling to be seen as a martial art i want it to be seen as the martial art like the best fighting style 
which is like why he would try and set up fights like he did against uh, Muhammad Ali because he like wanted to prove that pro wrestling was like was legit like that you know this shit isn't fake like regardless of whether it's fixed it's not fake I can fuck you up and I will do it (laughs) (laughs) um and so, so then, yeah, it was. In, so that was like sort of his whole ethos and what he was known for. Um, he's also a right wing politician, who whose whose politics have shifted through the years. But I think last I heard was a member of Abe's party. So you know, not, he, he's lit, he was literally like a you know kind of fascist politician, uh, but. So, so you know, you, that's another thing you can't really escape with martial arts and pro wrestling is the people who seem to be in the positions of power to like help develop these who who you know can help guide where these go often tend to skew right wing. Uh, yeah, uh, it, uh, there was like some sort of corporate coup in New Japan in the mid eighties where Inoki was like dethroned, like he was no longer running the show. So other people in New Japan, other wrestlers, created the UWFI like with the intention of setting it up as like the new promotion for Inoki to be the big star of uh, the, the, and but he basically was like, no, it's cool. I'm going to stay with new Japan. And they were like, <laughs> Oh, well, we've got this all figured out now. We might as well just do it without him. And so this goes through like, so it, 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 it originally starts as like more of a traditional pro wrestling uh, organization. Like I've watched the first show and the opening uh match is like a lucha tag team match which like the first spot is a fireball spot so you know <laughs> like not at all what you would call like a more sports uh presented sports style presented product or whatever but eventually it was the real martial arts influenced matches that became like the house style and then that was what they were known for. And it was, this was under, uh, Satori Sayama, the first ever tiger mask. Um, he was one of the, he was one of the, he was one of the people there. Um, he would go on to, to, uh, after leaving UWFI after like a year, he would form his own promotion called, uh, Shuto, which was basically shoot wrestling. So it was like pro wrestling rules, but it was a shoot contest. So, you know, basically MMA, uh, and and at the same time, uh, I think not long after UWFI folded and a lot of the people returned back to New Japan, but then there was a second UWFI that they called UWFI Reborn, and this had its they had their own uh match rules, which were very similar to you know what people might recognize from Pancras, where it's like you have five points, you lose a point if you take a rope break, uh, or, or if you get knocked down. So and you can so you lose the match by losing all your points, being knocked out, or by submitting. But there's no pinfalls. Uh, so like obviously, once with when there's no pinfalls and you you can work from the ground and you're not having to worry about you know just being forced down and losing the match that way. The style of fight and the style of story that is being told is a lot similar to one in MMA, you know, it's using a lot of the same language, so to speak, regardless of whether it's rehearsed mm-hmm. or, you know, whether it, or it's not rehearsed, but both people know what the last thing they're going to say together is, you know, uh, 
And so from the, from there, from, it's out of these different promotions that we get like Maidav eventually forms rings. He was another one who was like in New Japan and then went through UWF. Uh, his students, Suzuki and Funaki, and a third one whose name I can never remember off the top of my head, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, form Pancras. Um, and there's loads of organizations that shoot up at the time. It, it's like very popular. And the line between was this match worked or was it like a shoot is like kind of non-existent, but then it's also like, there's a very famous instance of uh, the first ever King of Pancrase title match, I think, between Bas Rutan and Masakatsu Funaki. Uh, Rutan thought it was a shoot. Funaki <laughs> knew he was putting Rutan over. <laughs> so it's basically, if you watch the match, it's it's just Funaki like doing his best to fend Rutan off and like you know do you know. Sh- be in the fight and like put on a good show, whereas Rutan is going for the kill the whole time. <laughs> like it's 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 a good match, but like you know, it's also it's it's a very similar vibe to Pride, which you know, it, it, Pancrase is often cited as being like the the ins- source of inspiration for Pride, but it was more of a scene that was that was going than than that. I think. Um, but yeah, it's one of those, it, it's it's very much like Pride, where it's like, even if you look into Pride, which is generally accepted as being an MMA promo- like promotion as well, a lot of those fights were worked sometimes. <laughs> but, and, you, you know, we don't necessarily know which ones were and which ones weren't. And so even in that space, which is now accepted as this is MMA, like the same way that to some people, Rings and Pancrase are. It's like, well, okay, but how much of it is what most people would consider MMA versus pro wrestling? And right. there's not really a clear answer. Yeah, and that's definitely something I think about a lot with um, how a lot of MMA fans in America definitely know of Kazushi Sakuraba, but they're um, th- they're told to think of him more as like someone who is trained as a catch wrestler because Americans have this aversion to thinking of pro wrestling as um, like a martial art and in tandem with MMA in such a weird way. But the uh, Kazushi Sakuraba was a pro wrestler. <laughs> yeah. That, see, that's the, that's another thing. It's like when you, when you talk about catch wrestling, this was something I wasn't necessarily uh, primed to notice until I joined the Southpaw discord and, you know, had certain discussions or saw certain discussions with Sam who like knows a lot about, who you know which shoot or or pro wrestlers or whatever were like trained by who and stuff like that and you know knows more of the behind the scenes thing rather than just like a general shape of what the scene was like and uh you know i've noticed that basically people use catch wrestling to mean shoot pro wrestling But really, it's just that there is pro wrestling and there is shoot pro wrestling or there is worked pro wrestling. Like, catch pro, like people, I've heard people call, say that like catch is the true catch wrestling, as if to say that pro wrestling is the pretend catch wrestling. No, it's right. like, no, no, catch wrestling is pro wrestling, which is both the fake stuff and the real stuff. <laughs> like, um, and, you know, so I've, and, so since being like sort of primed by these discussions in the discord and stuff like that, I've noticed a lot more the what, how people tend to use catch wrestling as well, uh, you know, 
as well as to distance themselves from this perception of fakeness. Right. It 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 also is to give themselves a sense of lineage and a sense like uh that they can you know treat as being just as important as like whatever martial arts lineage someone might be invested in and also so that they can claim certain things as being part of their own tradition and and it's almost like a way of saying instead of noticing the overlap or the synthesis between different styles it's a way of saying no we don't get that from them we don't we like or this didn't develop by coming into conflict with this other thing or whatever no this came from our guys actually they made it they were like mostly white dudes and they did it for us <laughs> it's just a coincidence that they were mostly white dudes uh but 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 yeah, but yeah they were all mostly white dudes uh stop noticing that they were all white dudes you, you know <laughs> we we also like uh some of the japanese dudes that those white dudes train because those white dudes train them and uh, we won't mention that all of those Japanese dudes were also previously trained by other Japanese people. <laughs> yeah, we will just kind of like whitewash all of their origins by claiming that catch is where they got everything, and then it's fine. Yeah, yeah. So- I've, I've even I've even heard people make the case of like I'm not going to call anyone out because I'm not trying to start podcast beef or anything like that. But I listen to like a re- wrestling history podcast, so I listen to several of these, and I, one of them uh you know would refer to um would, you know would say that like a lot of things that you might think come from judo or jujitsu like arm bars and stuff like that no this actually already existed in the catch tradition which is like you know not wrong necessarily but like and he used that to make the point of like because you know we're all working with roughly the same thing the human body we have the same set of biomechanics that we're dealing with that we can figure shit out like we can figure out what holds to apply where leverage needs to be pushed you know that sort of thing but then he like in this like without skipping a breath would go on to like imply that a bunch of these things that we might think came from other martial arts traditions actually came from catch it was like it works one way but not the other like we can we can use catch we can use the truth of the matter to say we didn't get it from you we got it from our guys but we but you know it can never be the other way around like right yeah it's always um you know a thing of well we invented it but obviously <laughs> yeah it's like it's like a weird you know sort of retrospective intellectual colonialism it's it's really weird not not that it not that this doesn't happen in other areas it's just a strange thing to now be able to see actively you know <laughs> like uh, like oh no people are like just telling fucking stories about this like people have people have just convinced themselves that this is how it actually is yeah they've just kind of told themselves a way to make it fit in with their worldview in some way and then that's all they hold on to yeah something else i was really interested to uh get to talk about with pro wrestling is um a thing i've noticed myself as someone who's a fan of pro wrestling and of mma and other martial arts is that I tend to see more open progressivism and like um, just kind of queer allyship and pe- like people of color being more welcome in pro wrestling um, like fan spaces. And something that I got thinking about is that I've had a lot of people come to me about me enjoying MMA and they've asked how I can enjoy it when it is so violent, almost like you were mentioning earlier 
where sometimes the finishes look almost more like an assault. And um, I think something that helps get more people that have that progressive mindset into pro wrestling is knowing that both of the competitors are trying to avoid injury as much as possible. I think that makes people feel a little bit comfortable. And I also think it's somewhat of the fact that the performance aspect is embraced more. Yeah, I think it's 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 sort of like it's you know it's like watching a magician. It's like you know you're being tricked. You're trying to, but <laughs> but it's like can the magician sweep you up in the performance while you're trying to figure out how he's tricking you? You know, like I think people are more comfortable with. Uh, I at least definitely was more comfortable with performed violence when I could you know uh, rationalize it as just being like. You know, like, well, it's fake, really, isn't it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it, you, you you go through like getting into pro wrestling from uh, from a little kid to an adult. You go through various stages of this is fake versus this is not fake at all, actually. Like, you know, and the ways that both of those things are true. And I think pro wrestling is just like a really interesting way to like think dialectically and i know that like that's a really you know pompous thing to say <laughs> but you know um again i'll go back to like sam has been treating tweeting recently of like how uh, a lot of politics it becomes uh, much easier to discuss if you have a pro wrestling vocabulary and it's because like a lot of the pro wrestling vernacular is like built up around this acknowledgement of we are lying to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, like we never acknowledge that politicians are lying to us in a way that we won't also accept platitudes from another politician about. You know what I right. mean? Yeah. Like we're, we're in in rest in pro wrestling, we know we can't trust anyone. <laughs> like we know we can't trust anyone and we just need to find the people we want to cheer on anyway. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's something that's interesting. Like, um, people kind of already do this with politics, as we've kind of implied there. Where like, you just you just kind of accept the lie from whoever is your face that you're trying to root for, and it doesn't matter if they're lying because you're in their corner. Yeah, or like you'll uh, support them because you appreciate the way that they will gesture at it being a lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little tongue in cheek makes it more supportive republicans are just smart marks is what i'm saying <laughs> uh the smart party <laughs> oh no yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> have to reconsider a lot now i'm just saying there's a lot of overlap between like pro wrestling fans and dsa as well i think like you know but also it, <laughs> this is something about populist politics and pro wrestling just goes hand in hand <laughs> Uh, it just It's always making me think of just Dusty Rhodes promos every time. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content, as well as our private chat group on Discord. But more importantly, it'll help us supplement the cost of running this project the incredible time and energy we put into it seven days a week. And you'll be giving us some breathing room, not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod.
But uh, yeah, no, I think you you were saying you got asked about like people saying like, oh, how do you watch it with like the levels of violence and stuff? I was talking about like just people come to me about MMA and stuff and about the levels of violence and about how extreme it seems and that kind of gives them a pause trying to become a fan. And um, I think that that's why I see more progressive fan like spots in um, pro wrestling is because people are able to separate that violence that's still happening. It's still real. People are still getting concussed and beat up, but because it has a thing where the competitors are working together and they're not intending to harm one another. It's more explicitly cooperative. Yeah, I think that's a lot more palatable for people that have um, more progressive um, views, at least at first. I know some people have been able to come around to MMA eventually. Yeah, I'm I'm one of them. I'm a new convert. Like, over the you know, past year or so, I've been slowly getting into it through, like, from this, you know, I, like, for... I, Falling in love with shoot style pro wrestling, uh, old and new, because it's sort of having a resurgence right now. Um, currently, you know, in Japan, there's uh, Great, which is uh, a promotion launched by Ladette, who used to own Noah, but like they sold Noah to DDT and then were like, oh, well, now we've got all these people who know how to run a wrestling company. I guess we should still have a wrestling company. And they've like revived UW- the UWF, like again. <laughs> recently <laughs> some more yeah um and in the u.s at the moment like all sorts of shoot style is happening on the indies and like early in the pandemic it definitely had reached uh mainstream tv as well because uh they, they were doing you know blood sport josh barnett's <laughs> blood sport which he was you know uh which he was given his name was put on it after alleged uh rapist matt riddle's name was taken off of it because he signed to wwe uh yeah so you know pro wrestling is still very much like a lot of you know a lot of the things that uh a lot of the things that would give you pause about mma are just as rampant in in pro wrestling but uh but yeah but there's also um a lot of the the shoot style that's happening now is happening in like a company called Paradigm, which is like features a lot of queer people, a lot of people of color. Uh, they do a lot of interesting experiments. Uh, they recently did have one of the owners uh, did a gender reveal match, for, <laughs> which was you know I didn't watch it. Maybe it didn't even happen. I complained about <laughs> it on the internet, and people got you know I was upset about it. I think some other people were upset about it. I'm sure. Uh, but but yeah, but like generally speaking, they're like what it, it, it was that that in particular felt like a kick in the teeth because they're one of my because fa- they're one of my favorite companies on the Indies. But there's also uh, uh, Camp Leapfrog did uh, Frog Sport, which was like their you know their own take on Blood Sport, <laughs> which so like it was shoot style, but they were willing to get silly with it when sometimes. But you know, s- still really really good matches. Um, and also recently, uh, a new promotion started called Combat Fights Unlimited, which uh, you and I watched the, their first show together, uh, Shoot to Thrill, which is like all women shoot style in a cage with no ring ropes. Uh, yeah, and that, that was really fun. It was um, It's fun to see the way that you can put together finishes in a shoot style that um, 
gives you a lot more variety and things to work with as compared to like the pinfall style of wrestling. Yeah. And so like, there's a lot happening right now, which is like, you know, part of why it's like pro wrestling is still really exciting to me, even though like, you know, the scales have been removed from my eyes a little bit. And, you know, like even post speaking out, a lot of things haven't been addressed. A lot of, a lot of people are happy to act like they've addressed things that they haven't, you know what I mean? Like from big companies to small. Uh, so it's like not easy to be a pro wrestling fan, but also, you know, I'm going to be fucking training soon because I'm one of these freaks who loves it and I want to be involved. <laughs> uh, so like, you know, maybe I'm immediately just like i I can't just think of like oh i'm gonna get to train wrestling that's cool i've like because i've got my fucked up brain i've got to think like oh i get to train pro wrestling that thing i love cool um okay so also now i need to think about how could i set up a wrestling co-op promotion uh how could i bring back fly and falls because i think that'll be cool how can i get like shoot style popping in the uk because like there's the odd hybrid rules match here and there uh a new promotion is partnered with roh so they're doing pure rules match that's wrestle carnival but like you know generally speaking there hasn't been wrestling in the uk over the past 18 months like it's that's a thing that's only just starting again um and it's you know so like i want to you know i want i don't i don't just want to get involved i want to like you know i want to help i want to help shape things a little bit i want to i want to and also i want to do the thing which i think has helped like queer wrestling thrive in the u.s scene specifically which is like i want to i want to learn what i need to learn and then as well as whatever else i'm doing i want to carve out my own shit you know what i mean like i want to make sure there there are i think there are like several promotions already in the uk that are like explicitly queer promotions it's just the you know we don't really have big promotions in the uk anymore like that we were having like an indie boom and and wwe basically just came and bought everyone up and you know like the biggest uh promotion in the uk is probably progress which is like basically just owned by the wwe now <laughs> like like it's kind of like a feeder yeah yeah and yeah you can say that about like a lot of the formerly like big names are like well now they're just owned by the wwe and like there's still lots of small places doing their own thing. And there's lots of like, uh, a lot of places that are doing interesting experimental stuff. Like I, I think wrestling resurgence is like specifically going for like hybridizing pro wrestling with theater performance and stuff like that. And performing arts in general, uh, riptide pro wrestling down in Brighton has like been very specifically, you know, like queer led and focused since its inception. Uh, but you know, even a lot of these like cool places that I'm naming, it's like, if you go back and watch this stuff from two years ago, you're probably going to be watching stuff with someone who's since been out of this, like an abuser in, in, in one respect or another, like, and it, you know, it's, it, that's something like both as a fan and as someone who wants to get involved with the industry is like very difficult to contend with. But, you know, I think. I think that probably the reason I didn't like give up on pro wrestling be- besides just, you know, like, well, I fucking love it. Like, how can I is like one of, 
uh, uh, I saw a wrestler uh, tweet like, you know, not long after like speaking out was like really kicking off. Like, hey, for all I get why this is too much for people. I get why this might happen and it causes you to say like, no, I can't be involved in wrestling anymore. But like at the same time, think about all these like brave people for the most part women but you know people who are like speaking up about this shit they've had to face through and uh, they've had to face and like they haven't quit wrestling like you know this is supposed to be the time that we get rid of the abusers like are you just gonna leave us to like not be able to thrive after they're gone (laughs) are you are you gonna make it so that they had to live with that for nothing (laughs) you know what i mean like that sort of thing and it's like uh, you know, like any medium, you can't really, you can't, you can't blame the medium, but you have to acknowledge, like, okay, but what are the structures in place that allowed this to happen or that encouraged this to happen? You know, and some of that is like in the UK at least, some of that may be coming in the form of government oversight, which you know, who knows how that will turn out. Like, I think th- uh, there was like a special group made in Parliament for like looking into wrestling i think there was a decision made recently where it was like now in the uk wrestling will legally be treated as a sport in training but as art in performance so like a show will be treated as like an art show but 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 like training schools are treated as sports training which i think is like probably the most like accurate way you could could distill it down really is like no, when we're training together, that is like the closest it is to a sport. Like, you know, th- th- we would be doing basically all the same training if this was a real fight, except, you know, because you still need to be, you still need to learn how to fall so that a back body drop doesn't break your neck. You know, what I mean? like, regardless of whether, you know, a-, a lot of like pro wrestling moves that were uh, popularized when pro wrestling st- first started becoming like a thing back in like the Lancashire catch days was like a lot of amateur fights would happen with, with with like just between two people who would fight under pro wrestling rules and because they weren't pros usually someone would end up dead or crippled by it like they'd end up with a broken neck or broken ribs or like a punctured lung and like a lot of people died that way and but like you know that's not a deadly move if you're actually a trained professional because you know how to take it. And that's regardless of whether it was a shoot or a work. Like, you know, you, you still didn't throw someone trying to injure them. You threw them to get, to try and get the fall, which was like that. This was before pinfalls as well. So like we had flying falls where it was like, you want the other person's shoulders to hit the ground at the same time. You don't need to hold them down. So you could throw someone and you want them to land safely because like if they land on their shoulders, you win. So like you you don't want them to land on the neck or the head or anything else. Like you want the person to land safely. And I think like that's part of why I have like this pie in the sky idea of bringing flying falls back into modern pro wrestling is because like, I like the, all the different ways that affects the match and like all the different storytelling angles that like, you know, presents. But at the same time, it's also just like it's something different. You know what yeah. I mean? Like a lot a lot of things there's a lot of shit going on in pro wrestling. Whether it's MMA or whether it's you know, fake shit, whether it's bullshit, but uh but you've always got that there there are less limitations 
in the work stuff and in in because like you know you can just you can just do whatever you can just have fun with it more you don't you know and it's i i, I want to have some fun <laughs> <laughs> what we were talking about earlier with um you talking about how there were people tweeting out like you know the people talking out about this are brave people that you should support and stay in wrestling and things also made me think about just more reasons why um i might see more progressivism in the fan base is um i think with pro wrestling it's easier to find a wrestler or wrestlers that you do agree with politically and like personally on what they stand for and it's easier to get behind them like as a real person it's easier to find their social media and connect with them and see how they actually are as a person whereas in mma still a lot of the fighters if you might become connected to them by watching their fights and feeling like you're a big fan of them and then come to find out that, oh, this person's like just a fascist or really racist or whatever. And then you have to constantly deal with that kind of being burned aspect of like, well, I can't be a fan of anyone because I don't know who to trust. See, this just, this just sounds like pro wrestling to me. Right, it's, yeah. it's, it's, see, that's still, it's, that's, <laughs> that's still the case in pro wrestling. Even when there's like, even when there's a lot of out, you know, like queer performers and, you know, like people who specifically champion themselves as like left wing or whatever, like the most famous case is David Starr, who I don't know how much about him, you, you know, or you are aware of, but it was basically the speaking out about against him, which like kicked off the speaking out movement. And before that, he was literally like the champion of the unionization movement. And he was like the big left wing guy who was always speaking out against racism and against homophobia and against transphobia and against misogyny. And, you know, it came out that like he just didn't live up to any of that in his private life, like mm -hmm. any of it. Yeah. And that's honestly something that when that kind of came out, it just reminded me of a lot of things that had come out about cis male like voices on the left in general because that's been a thing that's gone on in several places where you know yeah i mean if like a joke that was like very you know like grimly but appropriately made after he was outed was like oh you know there goes david star like completing the dsa bro gimmick getting outed as an abuser all right <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not wrong and i think like i've heard people say that like before he got outed, he had been planning to retire from wrestling to go into politics. Mm. So, <laughs> yeah, really shows you the connection there. I mean, that's another story. There's a lot of connections between politics and wrestling, like beyond beyond the meta level, but like literally like people who were both, you know. Absolutely. One of the things that kind of got me more into learning more about boxing history and things like that is finding out the um, links between like organized crime, politicians and boxers and like how all of that kind of blends together in these weird ways. And Yeah, again, like that was, you know, also has links in like how pro wrestling became a work is like, you know, depending on what town you went to to fight in, you might have to ha like face a different crime family that says that they want you to take a fall or, 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 you know, or whatever. And you would have to either do what they say or figure out a way to not do the, what they say and not die. Yeah, <laughs> like, which is not the easiest thing.
yeah, but you know, like the the, the most people would always, you know, they'd fi- they'd figure out a way. It's workers are workers, and they they always will be. <laughs> Uh, can't take the work out of the wrestler. Take the wrestler out of the work, but you can't take the work <laughs> out of the wrestler. Perfect. That's my new bumper sticker I'm printing. <laughs> God. It's so funny to do, like, insider humor bump and sticker, bumper stickers for wrestling. <laughs> like, you know, kayfabe breaking bumper stickers, where it's like, you know, people are j- just keep it in a, in, a, in a drawer at home, like, oh, if only I could put you up in that car, but, you know, I know I know how funny you are. I know how much you show my personality off. Right. And it's for no one else. <laughs> Speaking of kayfabe, I think, like, that's yeah, honestly kind of one of the things that I think... Uh is the best term to use when talking about like MMA promotions and their hesitancy to admit that they kind of are just pro wrestling is like, they want to keep this kayfabe thing of like, we have no, no connection to that. It's a completely different thing. There's definitely never been a worked MMA fight. Wink, wink. Like, yeah. Oh, certainly not. And, and, you know, again, this goes back to like the same thing that Sam always says of like, Regardless of whether or not there has actually been like a fixed fight, the conditions for fixing exist, and there are ways that things can be fixed without without quite being fixed. Like you know, like the like the same as in Pancras, as like Bass Bass didn't know he was winning, but Funaki Funaki knew he was losing. Like just like the same way where it's like they can manipulate that to uh, get the outcome they want, which is like bass fighting as if he needs to give everything just to survive just to win this fight which is what he did and what they wanted whereas funaki's goal is to like keep it going and like just as they were able to manipulate things in that way they can manipulate tournament brackets they can manipulate uh who are we actually going to crack down uh on for the ped pops you know like who you know who's going to get access to these trainers or to these promotional uh you know material like who who's gonna who are we gonna put on our show who's gonna who we're gonna put on our posters who, you know whatever like all of this is at the end of the day like mma fighters get pushes the same way that wrestlers do at the end of the day they are still booked it is still a promotional industry and as, as long as it, as long as it is a promotional industry it will be pro wrestling there, there, there was this uh promo given by Minoru Suzuki in like a car park in South England <laughs> when he came over here for a Rev Pro show or for a New Japan show I don't remember which and it was basically just him being like pro wrestling doesn't stand for professional wrestling it stands for promotional wrestling it's about what you can sell to people <laughs> and like at the end of the day MMA is the same game it's about what are, what are we selling and the and ultimately what they tend to be what they tend to be selling is you know who's dana's favorite boy against against like you know either the person he wishes they could be or someone he knows they can be like it's always going to be one of the two and and you know it's not always going to be his favorite and what he wants out of them isn't always going to be the same thing but it gets booked someone decides who's over who these people are fighting and why like we we don't have to be told the why, but there but there is a why behind every decision, mm-hmm. and that's something you'll see. Like being a more seasoned fan, as you can kind of pick up on those whys and hows. And like, I think the most recent example that's probably pretty clear is it's something that people wouldn't usually think of as like a traditional fix, 
but um, Sean O'Malley versus Chris Samantino, I mean, they picked a guy from regional MMA to come in and fight their darling because they wanted him to win, obviously. <laughs> like, it's not, you know, there's no guaranteed outcome, and Chris could have definitely uh, pulled out a win if um, he managed to get the opportunity, but they were planning on Sean winning, <laughs> for yeah. sure. You don't need to fix it to fix it. And right. like, that's why, like, a lot of... uh a lot of the reasons like the old pro wrestling champions used to also be shooters because like promoters felt like uh, if you if you if you ha- it's not enough to have a champion that you trust not to turn on you you need to have a champion you can trust to not be turned on like in the ring by the or by the opponent who wants to go against the plans to steal the championship for himself because like you know, in the, back in the day, it was like if if someone just fucking shot on the other guy and got the pin, well then they would have they would have to do it. Like it, it's in the ring; everyone sees it happening. You know, like at that point, it doesn't matter whether it was fixed. The other person can put themselves in the position where they can take the championship. What happens when they've got the championship? Well, they then they have the promoter in the palm of the hand. Then they say what fucking goes because they're the one with the belt. Unless the promoter decides he doesn't want to play ball and strips them of the title, like we recently saw with Ngannou. And like that's another thing where it's like fixing it without fixing it. He just fucking took the belt off him. Cause he did because he wouldn't play ball. Like it's all the same. Pro wrestling and MMA is the same thing, ultimately. Like, I know we've come full circle on this, but it's I am convinced. Yeah, I mean, it just makes me think of things like you hear stories about like um, back in WCW even like um, William Regal being booked to be squashed by Goldberg and just not wanting to do it and just being like, well, I'll still lose, but I'm going to make it a fight for longer. And like, you can't stop him if he doesn't want to go along with you. That's going to be the match now. Regal will still put you over, but he's going to he's he's going to dictate like the style of the match mm-hmm. and how you get put over. And that wasn't gonna. That isn't what the story of the match was, but it is now because that's what he's doing, and that's how it works. Like you've still got to do it. It's such a deep vein of metaphor in in, in pro wrestling, but like you know, like it can be in an, it can analogize so many different things, but also it's such a unique thing in and of itself. Again, it's all just dialectics. There's particularity. <laughs> there's universality. It's something that I almost wish that a lot of MMA would kind of just come to realize and admit about itself is that it's it's just pro wrestling of a different form. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to book things to be more exciting or trying to find ways to tell stories that get your audience engaged. Um, yeah, because like, like it's, it's so apparent. Like, you know, all everyone ever talks about these days in combat sports is how the most popular thing in combat sports are the Paul brothers. Like, and, and or just, you know, whatever other random YouTubers. Like, that, that's all anyone's talking about. And at the end of the day, all that's doing is, like, it's just the same as, like, old school exhibition matches in Pride, where it's like, well, here's a dude that's really good at this, and here's a dude you want to see. I also think that kind of connects to this thing of like, you know, I I love watching people who have the best girls in the world compete, and I love that aspect of it. But also, you need something to make people emotionally invested in your like competitive um, format to like want to see it. Just being the best sometimes isn't enough, especially if you're the best through 
constantly getting decisions, <laughs> you'll see people just kind of die away from that. God, this is so funny because the right, do you know about you know Jake Hager? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking his whole like gimmick in wrestling is that he's an undefeated MMA fighter and all his MMA fights are like fucking ringers and and he still manages to like either barely win or like just disqualifies himself. <laughs> like he'll he'll like it'll even look like he's on top and like could win and he'll still just knee the other guy in the balls and get himself disqualified so that he can still just be like, well, I'm undefeated. You know, you know what <laughs> not I mean? a lot. I'm an, I'm, an under, I'm an undefeated MMA MMA fighter. I have a perfect record. I've, I've won every match that has went to a finish. I believe his last opponent, when they had a fight for him in Bellator, it was like an amateur fighter who was working full-time in a factory came in to fight Jake Hager. He hasn't, he hasn't had like a legit opponent at all in Bellator from what I've seen, but is like, you know, typical cocky, like asking for the biggest fight whenever one comes up to being like, oh, that fight's my fight. I know it's my fight. And it's like, why? Because you're a rich white guy and you get what you want. Essentially. Yeah. Like, and that, that's all it, that's all it is. The only reason he's put in that position is because there's already enough stock behind his name. He's already got the rub from Vince McMahon. Like, and that's why he's there. He's got enough people behind him. Yeah. Like, he, he it's purely just a, like, he was a, he was an, he was an, he was a high school wrestler. He was a good wrestler, I think, like, at a, you know, but, uh jr really fell in love with him jr got him into the wwe he made friends with jericho he's sort of he saw he's that's the rest of his career is like it, it's only based on the fact that he did it like he got there so now he gets to stay there like he's not he's not good no one likes jake hager <laughs> there's not a lot of jake hager fans there's not no. a lot of jake hager t-shirts being sold not at all they gave him they gave him a shitty worked mma for mma rules fight on on dynamite against this guy called wardlow who fucking rules uh and like wardlow looked like the better cage fighter <laughs> you know even though he did like a ridiculous cartoon like uh superman punch off the like leaping off the cage wall you know like because it's pro wrestling of course he did gotta put a showtime punch in there yeah yeah but you know he's still like jk could just look like shit he just he just can't he just doesn't look good yeah he looks like someone who's phoning it in because he knows like I'm just gonna do this for forever, and they're never gonna get rid of me. So yeah, it it feels like someone it, like he really is the ultimate like peaked in high school of like <laughs> you know he he peaked in high school on on his wrestling team. He got scouted, and then he was just forever known as the shooter, and has like gone on that reputation without ever improving. Right. Uh, like, I mean, watching like old Ken Shamrock pro wrestling is better than watching Jake Hager. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I've not seen many Ken Shamrock matches, but the ones I have seen. Uh, leaps and bounds, no comparison. It's uh, loads of all those old shooters were like that's the thing. Like they weren't just shooters. Like they they knew that they knew like the they knew the entertainment aspect of pro wrestling. They knew they were there to put on the show, regardless of whether they were trying to win. Like you know, fucking Takayama Fry doesn't happen between men who are trying to win a match. It happens between men. Who are like just trying to show off like 
how much they can do. Like it's like no, I'm I'm not just here as like a matter of pride as a man who's like doesn't want to be the one to lose, which might be like the story that is told about this. Like this isn't like a man to man showdown. This is like a no, we are performers in the ring together and think about how fucking good this is gonna look. Like regard regardless of what whether that's what they're actually thinking, you can't tell me there's no element of them that's thinking that in this match where they run at each other and just get like punch each other in sync in the head 20 times that's literally a pro wrestling spot like that's a thing people do literally a pro wrestling spot and also they then like recreated the whole thing for a film like (laughs) you know it's and they've and they also recreated it in a pro wrestling match i think later i believe so (laughs) yeah like and so many different like pro wrestlers have then just stole the spot obviously like in, in homage like because of course they have like it's pro wrestling it doesn't it doesn't matter if it's a shoot fight or not it's pro wrestling something i'm thinking about now is almost like um kind of related to how companies specifically when i think about companies that don't want to admit that that mma is pro wrestling and i think of the ufc and um I think another way you see that come through is the control over what fighters can wear, the fighter kit things, like all of that. Um, I think it also leads to just less of an in for more um, queer and other minority like groups, because when you control what people can wear, you control how much of the self-expression they're allowed to have. Yeah, whether that's like a cultural expression or a gender expression. Right, or, or just any sort of personal aesthetic, it it completely takes away from that. And I think that that's one of the things that's it's incredibly important to queer culture to be able to have your personal aesthetic and your style and all of that about you. And when you take that away from people, it flattens everything. Yeah, and MMA seems to like explicitly try to sh- like, you know, strip people down. Like, not just literally of like having them wear the least amount of clothes possible, but also, you know, Unless some sponsorship deal has been worked out, those clothes are also going to be as plain as possible. They're going to be black or gray or, you know, like... Right, like a little bit of color or like what they did for Pride Month where they were like, there can be like hints of rainbow in the details, but like it still has to all be black or whatever. I, you know, It's the same as any uniform. Like it gets it gets the job done and the job is, well, we all have to perform under these same conditions. And why that is you know you can make arguments for each of it like you can make arguments for oh well everyone needs to have the same equipment you know everyone needs to just to be on a level playing field but it's like okay but how much do aesthetics come into that <laughs> like why is it why are the why is the aesthetic angle being policed as well like is that just because you want they want control of the sponsorships and they want to be in control of your money or is it like because you know we just don't want any of that faggot shit on on TV. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like it, it, there's reasons, and you know, there, there's usually multiple reasons. But I'm I'm not saying they wear black in MMA because of homophobia, but you know, <laughs> but it's part of it. <laughs> yeah, because I think that's the thing too. Is like you know, a lot of it probably is mostly motivated by wanting sponsorships and to be in control of how much money you get and who has the deal and all of that. But um, I'm sure there's also been studies done in other workplaces where you'll see that if you take away that sort of self-expression and you give all of your workers a uniform that is the exact same, you take away some of that 
personhood and you make everyone feel a little bit more like an automaton. You make it seem like if everyone is the same, you can't tell everyone apart. Um, you just kind of take out the humanity of your workforce. And that has psychological repercussions for your workers and for people who are viewing your product. I get, yeah, I guess that's the thing is like, you know, they can always put it behind, well, we have this, I, we have this image that we want. And I guess that that's it. It's like, what is the, what is the image like that they're trying to show us? And it's ultimately just, it's usually basically just boxing. They want to show us boxing, <laughs> but then, but then some fucking pesky fuckers try and wrestle out there and make it boring. Uh, <laughs> but even then, like, Pro boxers are allowed to wear like robes and their own colored shorts. They and- get to indulge in the pageantry because yeah. because it's like because that that strain of the business, that part of the combat sports wider industry, understands that the pageantry puts people in seats. Like you know, people. Most boxers don't start out wearing silk robes. Like they 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 let themselves work up to that. They let. They let people feel like they've earned the right to dress up. And then once they've dressed up, like, you know, they get reactions based on how they dress, which is like a combination of, oh, this person I love looks great right now, or this person I hate looks fucking arrogant <laughs> and rich, or, you know, like, uh, wh- whatever. You know, people say a lot about themselves in with how they dress and how they present themselves, especially when you're literally on a huge stage in front of giant crowds. Like, and to remove that uh element, I think is own like only serves intentionally uh removing any like theatrical control. Um, but also, you know, like they're willing to let it happen in certain circumstances. Like I, I, I haven't seen much of Tom Lawler's MMA career, but it's my understanding that he used to like come out in silly costumes and shit like that just to like pop himself. Like, and you, and they probably let him get away with that, even though it was technically against the rules, because people like to watch it. And it's like, okay, so why is that exception being made? The exceptions being made because it's probably making you some money, and you know that. <laughs> Well, and like, we've even heard Dana White complain before about like Israel Adesanya doing dances and stuff on his way out. Like, um, he talks about, you know, how he doesn't want that to be part of it or whatever, but like, that's, that's part of Izzy's appeal is that he is someone that has this like more entertainment feminine side to like his persona. And the fact that even one of their main stars doing that is so annoying for Dana that he talks constantly about wanting to shut it down is pretty telling. Because, like, to him, it's it like fighting is about masculinity. Like, even if you're even if you're a woman, fighting is about masculinity because that's what men do. Like, which is why you know it's different when a trans woman fights than a cis woman because, like, when a cis woman is doing a manly thing, that's uh, you know. That's interesting when a trans woman is doing a manly thing. Uh, right, that's threatening now. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's because the violence is associated with masculinity. It's like, well, then everything around the violence also has to associate with that same ideal of masculinity. And like, you know, what is Dana White's ideal of masculinity? <laughs> it can't be good. It can't be good. It can't be good. 
I don't want anything to do with it. No. And like, that's sort of a similar thing where, you know, you will see, you'll see queer cis women being allowed into MMA, but it's specifically butch lesbians that they want to showcase, like, because it has that manly aspect. You won't see a lot of like highly femme, like lesbians involved. And that's not because there aren't people like that who are interested in the sport, but it's because that image gets controlled in such a way. Or like the butchness isn't as like, noticeable to the cis gays in a sports con- uh, context where like that where traits that are usually taught like traits that were usually taught to associate with masculinity in women are instead associated with athleticism and it's like oh well you know you're not butch you're just you're just an athlete you're, you're just a fighter <laughs> you know like it's not it's not seen as part of like a que- like queer identity expression it's seen as like Oh well, you're just one of those manly broads, aren't you? <laughs> like, you're just wearing the pants in your relationship or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one of the things too that I think um, kind of has more flexibility with pro wrestling and stuff. Is like you were saying, like you're trying to figure out how to kind of make your own contributions to the scene and make more queer, like shoot style pro wrestling popular in the UK and things like that. And I think almost. Like a similar thing almost needs to happen with MMA, where we need to be able to have um, like queer run and queer centric um, promotions. But since we don't have that community in the fan base right now, we don't have anyone to start it. Um, no one has the means or the know how to kind of run a promotion yet, though it is also queer. And I would like to see that happen eventually. Like, you know, if they're not going to let trans women fight in popular promotions, we might as well just start a trans-only promotion. Yeah, I mean, why fucking not? We can, you know, tra- tra- since the beginning, since trans people have been, like, othered, like, trans people have carved out their own space. Like, you know. Had to do it for everything else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Never mind pride in the 90s. Let's talk about <laughs> pride in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, original Pride FC. <laughs> Oh, Pride OG. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to start mer- merchandising this. That's, uh... <laughs> God. I'm only allowed to say funny things if it somehow comes back to like a financial gain because that's capitalism. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's capitalism. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, po- that's, <laughs> that's capitalism, that's podcasting, that's pro wrestling, that's MMA. It's, it, everything under capitalism is corrupted by it. That's how it works. <laughs> none of us are free from sin <laughs> none of us are free from uploading designs to Redbubble <laughs> fuck you got me you got me <laughs> you got me that's going in I've still got I've still got like a Redbubble design that's like a fucking splinter cell themed t-shirt that I that I designed for a cracked uh video game t-shirt contest <laughs> uh didn't win the contest so i put it up on redbubble and every few years i'll get like ten dollars out of the blue and be like oh someone bought that design <laughs> oh it's really funny that you mentioned cracked because that was actually like when i was about to start college i had been reading a bunch of cracked articles all the time in my free time and then like just kept spamming their email with like freelance like <laughs> offers being like hey do you want this do you want me to write an article about this yeah <laughs> I, I never like got the confidence to really pitch anything but like i thought about it all the time because all i did was read their fucking website because it was like oh 
this has silly bullshit on, but also has so much interesting little trivia that I've just like never heard before. And it's usually like actually sourced and and linked and stuff like that. Like, but but you know, also <laughs> you got some dodgy stuff on there sometimes. But you know, it's the internet. Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Yeah. Cry. <laughs> Cry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, eventually, I think I just got burned out on listicles. Yeah, I think that, like, because I started reading Cracked, and then, like, BuzzFeed got popular, and then, like, I just got so many sent to me, or so many linked, and it's like, I can't do this anymore. Cracked got BuzzFeedified. <laughs> yeah. BuzzFed. <laughs> the forced BuzzFeedification of, <laughs> of Cracked.com. Oh, that's my <laughs> dissertation I'm writing. God. <laughs> yeah. We can just do a thing where if we run out of, uh, if, we, if we like hit a bump in the conversation where it's like, so what are we talking about? I can just read a poem if you want. <laughs> I've got this poetry book in front of me. I can. Do you read a poem? Read. We might not put it on the episode, but it might be a Patreon exclusive. You there we go. <laughs> get to hear some poetry. Okay. <clears throat> so this one, this one is called For Adorable Adrian Adonis, Unable to Wash the Pink from His Hands. Hey, AD, which way is the wind blowing today, brother? Have you taken a walk on the wild side in a while? Hulk Hogan, 1986. <laughs> I think that's like a big part of um, how it kind of has spread more into pro wrestling and stuff is just by having those depictions of more like queer coded people for certain heels or performers throughout time. Um, whether the actual wrestler is queer or not that kind of seeps into the consciousness and yeah which historically they usually weren't right yeah <laughs> there are probably so many people that you know it could have been a thing of being closeted even as well yeah yeah i mean it's the same thing with you know sexuality and like being closeted and shit like that it's like well how do you how do you even know you know like how how do you even know that you aren't <laughs> like until you hit the moment until you hit the moment where you realize, like, how do you actually know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I think about that a lot with like my own transness and stuff. Is like, um, I had I had known about gay people and things like that for a long time as a teenager, but um, the like ability to be trans was not something that was like anything I had encountered until I was already about like eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, same. I, I I literally saw the word transgender for the first time at sixteen and had to ask someone what it meant. Uh, I was like, you know, it was like, oh, is that is that uh, like transsexual? Like, because that was the word I knew, right. and, and and they were like, oh, well, it's like that, but it's for gender instead of sex. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and that's that's how I found out that gender was supposed to be something that I was experiencing and not something that I'd completely shut myself out from, you know. So like so then I was like, "Oh, I guess I'm genderless." And like, you know, then that was to be that was the beginning of a long journey. But like, you know, it was literally within like 2 weeks of seeing the word, I was like comfortably identifying as non-binary. You know, like it's it, it, it sometimes you just need like so you don't you don't know what you don't have like until you've got it. it it's like the opposite of you don't know what you've got till it's gone it's like no no you don't you don't know what you're missing until you have it yeah you don't know what you're missing until you like just stumble apart upon a whole part of the world that you didn't even know was there and i think like you know sometimes when i think about 
when I was liked wrestling as a kid, I, 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 I you know, I'm a bit bitter about it because I think like, oh well, I was basically bullied out of liking it by my family. But you know, at the same time, I can't say I fucking blame them because already at that at that age, like I was definitely being taught like a lot of shit that you know I didn't you know couldn't process as being inappropriate lessons for a kid to learn. Like you know, famously when I was like six years old, my mom like I got in trouble because me and my friends were playing wrestling in our bedroom. It was like me, my cousin, and our mate who was the same age. And like for us, playing wrestling involved like you know wrestling teddies and shit like that. You know, like but 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 then because of us uh, mostly keeping up with wrestling through the video games, those also included like sex storylines and shit like that. So like after we wrestled the teddies, we would then be like pretend like pretending the teddies were divas, (laughs) 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 you know, and. and we were a bit too loud the first time that happened and got, <laughs> and got caught and I, I you know that was something i had to had to face was that my mom just caught us pretending to have sex with some toys <laughs> like because like that was part of the fantasy that was being sold like it, it, it was that like oh these are hyper masculine visions of what you could be And that you can't just, you you don't just, like, be the biggest, strongest person who beats everyone up. You also, like, fuck whatever woman you want, because that's part of that. (laughs) Like, Yeah, being, like, sexually dominating is part of being masculine and all of that. The women basically only exist as objects for you to have sex with when you get, when you want to. Right, yeah. And, like, that was all in there, but, like, I didn't, I just saw a fun game, you know what I mean? So, like, but but then but so like in contrast to like 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 i can see that shit in retrospect of like how it like wrestling fandom could have been negatively affecting me like coming like uh, coming back to it as a as a queer trans adult it's like wrestling has done so much for how i understand my own sexuality my own gender my own body you know like getting back into wrestling as an adult and getting into like these fan communities of like other queer people especially and like you know making new friendships that like that involve a lot of like our specific perspective on pro wrestling and us talking about it in that way is like no yeah this is done more for me than i could say in like the exact opposite way like it's helped me learn about myself it's helped me open myself up to new things you know it's helped me gain confidence in areas of my identity i was less confident about for for various reasons like and you know that that's you know that's because of the people more than it is because of the wrestling so like yeah i i think it's always just about it's it's always about the relationships you form i feel like even 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 in fandom i feel like a lot of what i get out of something that i'm enjoying is who am i enjoying it with like if if it's something that I'm enjoying alone, then like that is probably going to change how I engage with it. And I think, yeah. So like when, when you like, when, when we have queer fan communities, I think when, and this, you know, like that, that is able, you're you're able then to like the queer professionals are able to thrive more because there's like a fan base waiting for them. You know what I mean? Like rapidly waiting for them as well as, you know, like 
let, let's not forget that like all, all these queer wrestlers and all these people of color and all these like queer wrestlers of color who are like fucking killing the scene right now and are dominating like they're not just killing the scene with other people of color and with other queer people they're killing the scene with everyone like everyone loves these people everyone wants to book these people and it's because they're the best like i think that's another part of it is just like so many people in, involved who are queer or you know whatever other because they're you know they're obviously a lot of times where people are like, well, here's us campaigning or doing a show that's just for women or just for black people or just for whatever because of how they've historically been overlooked, you know, whatever whatever category. It's like, well, no, these people are also just the best, like, and and you have to deal with that, like, it's it, and you know, the mer- meritocracy has never been a real thing and never will be a real thing, but also that line of who gets to flourish is like a little bit more blurred when the entertainment side is like such a uh foundational aspect of it because it's like you can never win a match you can lose every one of your matches and be the most over person in a company like you know that that's like the foundational booking for a lot of people is like oh well this guy's gonna be our ace okay let's put him in a two-year losing streak so that everyone will love it when he comes out of it like yeah, when he starts going on a like a winning streak, it's going to be the biggest pop we get because we've set up that expectation of this person's only going to lose. Yeah, and we get to like we get to have them be in all these amazing amazing matches against foes of like higher and higher caliber. So even though they're never winning, they're getting closer every time against people who are even harder to beat. So like you know the people who beat them yesterday, would they beat them tomorrow? Sort of thing. <laughs> like, yeah. And I, so like, I feel, yeah, there's that like, sorry, I don't know why I just went into like narrative crafting. I think that's just when I speak about pro wrestling, it's really hard for me to not go on segues because so much of it just flow, like is fluid and like goes into like, the way you talk about one thing goes into the way you talk about another, which goes into the way you talk about another. And it's, you know, God, I just fucking love it. I just love this. I love this so much. And like a way that that sort of narrative uh, storytelling ties into like MMA is some of the biggest stars the UFC has right now are people that aren't coming up like Conor McGregor or whatever through, you know, their mic skills and being like a big draw for people that way. It's people that are both like um, Charles Oliveira and uh, Dustin Poirier both. They had a sort of career where they've been here a long time. They came in really young. They were hot prospects, but then they've had losses. They've had knocks on their records where people weren't sure if they were going to recover. And then they finally made their way to being champions and being like bigger names. And you get that sort of organic like fan base behind you and people can watch you grow and develop. Mm-hmm. but that, that's the thing though as well is like a lot of the time that organic fan base like isn't organic in the sense of like it's grew on its own it's organic in the sense of like it's grew in resistance to what is actually being like you know to, it, it's in resistance to that to the hand that's guiding the whole thing <laughs> like the, these people have like in in a way of like in in a story crafting perspective in a promotional perspective you know they've probably been left out to roost too long like they could have had their time earlier they could have had a stronger prime earlier that they will never get to get again because like just the promoters didn't want them in that spot yet 
and now they're and they've managed to get in that spot anyway like when people may argue that they're past the prime like they've still managed to get there and it's like god think about how good they could have been if they were given opportunities they deserved but but it's never about who deserves it it's about what sells yeah like um that makes me think like almost like there's been years there where Vince McMahon was just trying to get everyone to swallow the pill that was Roman Reigns being the top guy in the promotion and then after all of that we see the Kofi Kingston title reign where everyone loved it so much because he'd been there for so long and they'd wanted to see him be this bigger star and then they cut it out very quick because it wasn't what Vince wanted yeah um, it was oh god that was that was the thing as well was like that was you know very much the the all the fan favor behind Kofi was very much a personal people love Kofi specifically people love the new day specifically uh, but then of course also there was the racial and political element to it which was part of the story being told like they couldn't say it explicitly because what was because what the story was is WWE is racist right <laughs> and 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 like that is the truth of it but like you know but then the people who were racist to you tell you it's work with you to tell the story about them being racist you know what i mean like and and you and you don't really have anywhere else to go to tell that story even if there's you know arguably whether you want to argue about whether they're a competitor or not you know aw exists now which can only be good for the wrestling scene as a whole is that there's more you know options available to workers but at the same time, you know, it's like v- v- Vince McMahon's still in charge. Like he's he's like showing you how far we've come by being the racist villain. But like that's a role he's playing while he's still in charge of the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're being told this like you're telling the story about you overcoming your oppression while still being reined in by your oppressor because they control the narrative. Yeah, it was it was so like disappointing how that like rain ended as well because like because of the momentum it had and like it ended in the most anticlimactic way and you know it's hard for that to happen and for it not to feel designed that way because you know it was designed that way it was booked someone booked it that's how it works <laughs> yeah it's someone's job to detail how this is going to happen and when it's going to happen and how long it's going to last so someone had the job of saying well you're just going to get squashed eventually and when you're the wrestler who's been there for years you know that your job is to do the best with what you're given because they give you things you can't change and if you want to keep your job you have to do what they say like awesome it's been lovely speaking with you aj and Go ahead and plug anything you want to plug, your podcast or your Twitter or whatever. Okay, yeah. So um, as I said earlier, it's uh, my podcast is called uh, 2 by 2 uh, You can find us on Twitter at 2 by 2 cast You can find my personal account at More Guillotines. Uh, what else? Oh, yeah, you can find us on Patreon at <laughs> patreon.com slash 2 by 2 we do like watch alongs for so like for all the matches we watched that we cover in our episodes we also record ourselves watching along with them for if you want to uh, experience the match that way uh been told that's a fun way to watch it 
we also do like bonus shows on there and, and things like that uh and we do a show called not paid by the hour uh after the old wrestling cliche which is basically our outtake show but it's like it's like outtakes and bonus content because it's like okay we cut this from the podcast let's just throw it in not paid by the hour so it's getting used but it's also like hey we were just hanging out and decided to turn our mics on so it's just a conversation not about wrestling for once but we've made it content uh and yeah th- that all used to be set out so like different tiers got different things but we decided that like we wanted anyone who supports us to like have access to all our stuff so anything from a dollar upwards you'll have access to everything we do awesome thank you all for listening to pride never die um you can check us out on instagram my instagram is power tool um p-w-r-t-o-o-l-e it's the same thing on twitter and then check us out at patreon too um without your support we can't really keep doing what we're doing and we try to be the premier place to come for leftist um queer centric people of color and indigenous like focused combat sports and political every we do everything (laughs) at this point (laughs) kind of have to yeah you have to (laughs) once you get going but uh yeah thank you very much and please support aj um support everything she's doing it's the same thing we can't keep uh keep taking the space we're doing if we don't get support it means everything to us thank you so much